thank you for the uh, opportunity to come this morning. Because I really do think, and politicians often say this uh, when uh, asked to react to reports, but I really do think this is both an extremely timely report and an extremely thought-provoking one. And I certainly don't propose to do more uh, than pick up a few themes out of it. Uh, I'm not uh, being offered and wouldn't wish to take the time uh, to react to every point uh, made within it. But the first point I noted when I was thinking about how I would uh, react to what Chris had to say is to comment on the title, Reforming the NHS from Within. And one of the uh, comments that Chris made in his presentation was looking at the performance of different ways of encouraging reform in the health service, whether it's targets or competition and choice or regulation, which are the ways that, looking at the history, we've achieved real reform of the NHS? Well, you have to say, looking at where it was and looking at where it is, the track record of none of these uh, interventions uh, justifies the proposition that these are effective interventions to deliver reform, because... The real challenge that faces us, I think, is the failure of any of these interventions over a sustained period to deliver real reform. In the Palace of Westminster, the word reform mean, produces a default instinct that we need a reform, therefore we need an act of parliament. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, reform isn't about the structures Reform is about what the patient or the service user of the health and care system experiences in the day-to-day -day use of these services. Reform means ensuring that the service that is delivered reflects the fact that the needs of these individuals have changed beyond recognition from the needs of the earlier generation of users who were using the service in the late 1940s, 1950s, when most of the institutional framework was established. Their needs are different, and the opportunities that we have uh, to support and respond to those needs are fundamentally different. But still we're stuck with the same set of institutions. My favourite anecdote for illustrating the point is one that is now 24 years old. The day that I was first appointed, I don't say the day, but the month that I was first appointed a health minister, I asked someone to explain to me what is the difference between primary health care and community health care. And I was told that there was a great, I learned there was a great superstructure of theology that had grown up around what is essentially a political deal done by Anar and Bevan in 1946 to get the BMA on side for the establishment of the NHS. What is the difference between primary health and community health? The answer is there shouldn't be a difference. And if there is, that's a failure, of, a, a failure to deliver this objective of real reform uh, that I look for, which is reform of the way care is delivered, not a reform of all of the structures. So, uh, understanding what we mean by reform. I then, 
uh, I won't pre pretend to have read every word of this report, but I certainly have looked through it, and I was attracted to figure one. Because figure one of the report lists two different ways, two different columns of characteristics to deliver reform that you can apply this actually to healthcare, but to virtually any other institution as well. Which is the more effective way of changing something? And it's the bottom line that I most I, 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 I caught my eye: extrinsic, extrinsic drivers of change or intrinsic motivation of change. Which way do you change an institution by subjecting it to a threat or offering it to an op or offering it an opportunity? Now, as human beings. I'm a natural optimist. Of course, I would prefer to believe that the best way of changing something is to find well-meaning, in, in, inspirational people who will lead the process of change. But I suppose I've been around long enough to know that that will often work, but not always work. And so, as the report, I think, right, quite rightly concludes, there has to be a balance between opening the door, showing the way forward, Enabling people who have good ideas, because they're the leaders. You'll never drive uh, cutting-edge change. What you can do is, catch up, is uh, encourage the laggards to catch up. But enabling the pathfinders to find the new solutions, that's certainly a key part of what I look for in the culture of a healthy organisation, whether it's delivering health care or doing any of the other forms of economic activity uh, we have in our society. Michael Heseltine, when I was a health minister, used to say to me, Stephen, it must be possible to do more with all this money. And I said, yes, Michael, if you were running Salford Royal, no, you wouldn't find, actually, you could do it better than the incumbent at Salford Royal. But there are other hospitals, probably, where somebody engaged... Uh, a change of management, a change of, of pressures could lead to improved performance because, unfortunately, the health service isn't run in every one of its organisations by David Dalton's, people who can lead and, and drive the way forward. If, if we had an a, uh, Institute of Healthcare Management made up entirely of David Dalton's, I, I wonder what would happen in the rest of the economy... But the, then all our solution, all our problems would be solved in the health service. Actually, you need to empower the David Daltons, but you also need uh, to ensure that there's a discipline for the less effective managers uh, to ensure that the service as a whole cat uh, is, uh, is enabled to change, but also encouraged to change. Both of those, uh, that, that's the, the mix of extrinsic and intrinsic. Enabled and encouraged. Now, let me, uh, in the list of things I was uh, asked to, uh, or I wanted to touch on, I, I thought Chris might ask me, what was the role of the politician in all of this? Uh, I, uh, actually, the, the, the comments in this report about the importance of demarcating the role of politicians, I completely agree with. And uh, the way I would, the thought process I would offer around this goes back to the Ken Clark reforms of 1990. We've, every, every political party will promise in the general election of 2015 some version of there will be no 
top-down re-disorganisation of the health service. And let's hope this time the, ke- the promise is kept. But the, the, there has been one important change, in my view, uh, that's been legislated so far three times. It was introduced for the first time by Ken Clark in 1990, it was re-legislated by Alan Milburn in 2002, and it was re-legislated again by, Alan, by Andrew Lansley in 2012. And the, 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 the change that I'm thinking of is the distinction we draw in this country now between commissioners and providers, what we now call commissioners and providers. In other words, the, the proposition that you don't fund institutions, you fund a commissioner with the task of acting on behalf of the collective to deliver the desired outcome from whichever institution is best able to deliver it. That's what Ken Clark was about in 1990 when I was a junior minister, and it's been, despite all the political brouhaha, it's actually been the fundamental idea of health service management structures ever since. I think quite rightly, because I do think access to public funds should be conditional on demonstrating that the provider of service is, a, is, the best, is best placed to deliver the service required uh, by the patient or service user. And the moment you draw that distinction between the commissioner and the provider, it seems to me you draw very precisely by implication the distinction between the proper and the improper role of the politician. The politician is the person who sends the tax demand or is responsible for sending the tax demand. The voters expect the politician who collect the taxes to be interested in the way the money, the taxes are spent. They hold them to account and quite properly so. So the way in which commissioners discharge their responsibilities seems to me inevitably, properly, to be part of political debate, not just in this country, actually all over the world. Uh, People often say the NHS makes healthcare uniquely political in Britain. It's absolute rubbish. Has anybody read an American newspaper in the last 10 years? What do we think has been the most, the, the dominant domestic political issue in the United States for the last decade? Obamacare. It's, whether it's Obamacare or the National Health Service or social insurance on the continent of Europe, or even if you look at the BJP election manifesto in the recent Indian general election, you'll find health care, access to health care, is intrinsically political. So the politician will always be properly interested, whether the actual funding of the process is tax-funded or insurance-funded. In, in an open society, people will care about access to health care. But the whole point of distinguishing commissioning from provision is that prov- commissioning is about access. Provision should, in my view, be about finding the best way of responding uh, to the commissioner's requirement on behalf of the patient. So what is the proper role of the politician? It is to engage as the accountability mechanism for the commissioner. Two final thoughts very quickly. I very much believe, and this is where I'm going next with Aradazi in the next session here, that we will never deliver 
the health and care system we want, for, we want, but more importantly, patients and users want uh, in the modern world, if we think that the NHS is a kind of cuckoo in every locality. What we need to engage to ensure is that health is part of the care package that is delivered in each locality. It's what we refer to as joined up integrated care. The NHS as an organisation which doesn't relate to local care services is an NHS which can never ever uh, deliver uh, the objectives we have for it. And finally, since you'd think I was evading the subject if the words didn't cro cro uh, cross my lips, competition and choice is one of those uh, we can perhaps debate in, in questions. My only observation would be this. Whenever politicians, Labour or Tory, talk about competition and choice, people retreat to the trenches. I have never yet met a professional doctor, nurse, lawyer, accountant, professional person who isn't competitive. Surely to goodness, if what we're looking for is the best solution to the delivery of care, what we want to do is to encourage the competitiveness that is there in every high-quality professional and ensure that that competitiveness is, is engaged to find the best solution to today's problems with today's technology, which is what I think reform is all about.